Hey everyone, Steve here, and I just want to give a quick shout out to Panda O'Bear, Eagle8497, and Norton Rainey for giving us reviews on iTunes. iTunes bases their rankings on an algorithm of downloads and reviews, so each review we get helps bump us up those podcast charts. If you like what you've heard and you've got a moment, please go to iTunes and leave us an honest review. We'd appreciate it more than you know, and you'll probably get a shout out on a future episode. Thanks. When I get introduced, people always think CEOs have a life that's had no trial and, and tribulation. Mine has. Um, I've had breast cancer. Uh, I've raised a, a child with difficulties. Um, I've had. I've lost a job that I loved very much, and had to kind of face up to the fact that uh, I'm not in control or in charge of my destiny. So. That has been a humbling framework that uh, I think has made me more effective uh, because I want to give my best to my leadership roles, but I want God to get the glory and God to be in charge. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen CEO, Cheryl Beshelder. Now, when my co-host John Ramstead and I interviewed Ken Blanchard back on episode 27, we mentioned after our conversation that we had this one on the books. And Ken told us when he thought of his book, Lead Like Jesus, Cheryl Beshelder was doing it as well as anyone he knew. High praise from a greatly esteemed leadership and management author. I could go on, but I want to get to this interview. Here now is how we got our conversation with Cheryl Beshelder started. Well, Steve, today on Eternal Leadership, I'm excited to have on Cheryl Batchelder. And right down the street from us, Cheryl, is Popeyes. And we head up there probably weekly. So I'm, <laughs> so I'm near and dear to what you're doing on the business side. But, you know, there's some deep and important issues that you've done in your life. And uh, we were sharing with uh, Ken Blanchard that we were going to have you come on. And he said, of anybody he knows, it's just a model of all the principles and lead like Jesus. You come to mind. So we're really excited to have you come on and just talk about what you've done in your life with your book, Dare to Serve, and, and at Popeye's. So just welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be with you. Well, we're excited to have you. You know, the way I always like to start is for some people that aren't familiar with you, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about your background and your story, and then there's a just a whole bunch of content Steve and I would love to get into with you. All right. Well, I would say um, my life began with some pretty amazing parents. Uh, Max and Margie Stanton were their names, and uh, they gave me an incredible foundation for life. I'm the oldest of four children. Uh, was raised in a family of faith uh, from the very beginning. And really, I think uh, my parents viewed their job as leadership development. I now look back on it and say how interesting it is that they developed four business leaders through their parenting stewardship. Uh, and today, all four of us in some capacity are either running a company or recently retired um, and so I am uh, uh, very close to my family. Uh, my own family started 34 years ago when I married my husband, Chris. We together have raised three daughters that are now in their 20s and uh, have our first grandson who was born last June. Hey, congratulations. Yeah, probably the, the pinnacle of my year. Uh -huh. um, and so then the career side, um, both Chris and I have enjoyed long, uh, fulfilling careers 
Um, mine has been in first brand marketing and new product innovation and later on general management like I have here today at Popeyes. Um, but we've been very blessed to have good uh, career opportunities and been able to manage uh, with a lot of support from one another the idea of work and family. So we find ourselves today in Atlanta um, where I'm running Popeyes and Chris has recently retired uh, from his work and uh, life is good. It sounds like life is good. Hey, I'd love to circle back. You said your, you know, your parents, they modeled leadership. It was important to them as they raised you. What are some things that they did that, that really equipped you and your, your brothers and sisters to do what you've done? When I look back on it, you know, as a child, you don't always appreciate the gifts that your parents give you. Our parents had a real discipline about family time, a lot of family dinner time, uh, where we discussed our days and reflected on what happened. And as I look back, I think the way they taught us leadership is they taught us uh, certainly to value skill development. They were very big on education and they wanted each of their children to have great uh, educational opportunities. But more important than that, they wanted to teach us how to make good decisions with our lives. They taught us values. And those dinner conversations were mostly about how uh, you bring your values into your work and family decisions as much as they were what you do. People ask me, did your parents want you to be a CEO? I said, I don't think so. We never talked about that. Um, we talked about how you lead and how you make decisions with integrity, how you treat people in the world with dignity, um, and how you uh, execute honesty and good values in your daily decisions. And so I think that's the amazing foundation they gave each of us, uh, largely stemming from our faith. Um, we came from grandparents uh, who were believers in Christ and stewarded our parents and then our parents continued that work by stewarding their children. And I now believe the greatest gift you give a child is the gift of faith. What did your parents do for work that, that gave them the, this ethos to pass on leadership to their children? My mother was a school teacher and she didn't teach all the time, but she taught a number of times in my lifetime. Um, and then she also once was a travel agent when she was in the, wanted to travel the world and show us the world. And then my father uh, ran National Semiconductors Manufacturing Operation. And so they were uh, building chips, essentially, for electronic equipment uh, in Asia. My parents lived in Singapore and Hong Kong for 14 years. Uh, I was the oldest of four, so I was in college by then. But my siblings all graduated from Singapore High School. Wow. Did you, did you travel over there and visit them when they were in Asia? Yes. Travel was a big part of our life. I mentioned my mother loved to travel. It turned out my dad uh, enjoyed international business and our family had the opportunity. I think it really has framed up how we see the world. We've traveled all over Asia and most of Europe um, with my parents, learning about history, philosophy, religion, uh, communities, and then had this opportunity to live for a long time in Singapore uh, as that country developed. You know, in your world travels, I just love to ask you a sidebar, like what's your like a bright spot of your favorite memory of all those travels around with all those experiences? Well, I actually came to love Singapore uh, the best of all the places we went, probably because I also got to spend a lot of time there. I, 
I really enjoyed um, that community was really setting up for economic success. And so they were, the people were becoming well-educated. There was a lot of excitement about economic growth uh, and business development in that market. And I often say today, if I want to get inspired about growing Popeyes, I go to Singapore uh, because it is still a country that I think leads the way in uh, creating a prosperous uh, economy for its people. So when you say inspire, when you go there to get inspired, what, what is it about that culture that you take out to bring back to re-energize yourself? Well, you know, I think uh, Asia as a whole uh, remains very excited about economic growth. Um, and what I enjoy most uh, in my work is giving people the opportunity to start businesses. They happen to be restaurant businesses. And so I love a thriving uh, community that's investing in the future of both business and the people. Uh, and Singapore is very lively that way. Um, I think in America, we've gotten a little casual about our values around uh, mm -hmm. a prosperous economy that serves the people well. Um, and I'm always reminded when I go to Asia of uh, good attitudes, uh, the work ethic, the importance of values. And uh, I think it's a good refresher course uh, for the people of our country to look at um, that part of the world uh, and see what we once had in our country, a real feeling of vitality about our future. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. There, you know, there's so many things going on in our culture now. There's so many opportunities. Um, you know, as, as I read Dare to Serve, it was interesting, just this whole concept of servant leadership. I was actually at a university speaking to a group of sophomores and juniors and just talking about the concept of servant leadership. And the mm -hmm. questions that they asked Cheryl, really this cultural influx of just how they perceived that was, how can I get ahead if I'm putting other people's interests ahead of mine. And I was really wow. shocked that this was kind of a majority opinion of a very large group. And I'd love for you to maybe talk to that, uh, both from, you know, the role as a leader, how in what you've done in your own company, but how do you work with, you know, these millennials that are coming up that are, that kind of have, in, they're entrenched in that mindset you just talked about, which is kind of opposite what you're seeing in some pockets here in the US and, and in Asia. Well, I think we've really trained up a whole generation uh, with the wrong rules of leadership. Um, and whether you call it uh, power or self-absorption or self-ambition, there's a lot of ways you could frame it. Uh, but I call it the spotlight problem. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we've trained up leaders to believe that when you step into a leadership role, it's all about you and being you being in the spotlight and you calling the shots and you benefiting from the outcomes. Uh, and uh, Robert Greenleaf, uh, you know, 40 years ago said there are two kinds of leaders. One is leader first and the other is serving first or servant first. And our culture is very much leader first. What we celebrate on our magazine uh, covers are leaders with uh, jets and girlfriends and assets, you know. Um, and I think we've got it all wrong. And I think it's largely the result of my generation's adoption of that philosophy that there's a lot of cynicism or cynics about the workplace because I think we've created a workplace that's largely been about getting the boss to his destination or her destination of success as opposed to bringing the people uh, to a positive outcome. So I've really been challenging that and I've been challenging the 
bold, uh, achievement-oriented leader to figure out how to be humble and serve. And then I've also been challenging the humble servant leader to be bold and understand that you must perform. Uh, because I believe, as you hear in the title, that it's the combination of courageous destination and humble service to the people that you create the environment or the conditions for people to perform their best. When somebody's in that mode of being a spotlight leader, Cheryl, what does that do to the people that are either working for them or following them? The truth we have to face is that it creates an environment of fear. Uh, one of my team members calls it an unsafe workplace. Uh, if everything is about the boss and what happens to them, you're pretty sure that you don't matter all that much and that, in fact, you're at risk. If you would be too bold or if you would step out of line, so to speak, you might uh, not make the turn. And so I think we've created workplaces of fear where people are afraid to take risks. They're afraid to stretch and grow. And as a result, they're afraid to give you their very, very best. Um, at Popeyes, we work daily to ask ourselves whether we're creating a workplace that's safe for people to prosper and grow. Because if you don't, here's the result, and we've all seen this in our workplace. The result of fear is chaos and busy activity. Mm -hmm. It's not productive and it's not successful. Uh, so if you create an environment of fear, you will look around and everybody will be working on 100 projects but none of them will have a major impact on the business. None of them will add up to a breakthrough. Um, and I now challenge people, if your work environment is full of activity and not delivering results, then you're likely working in an environment of fear where the leader is the focus and not the enterprise and the people. So, you know, through your business career, Cheryl, where did it start to for you to get just this clarity that the servant, the servant leadership, this lead like Jesus uh, concept was really so much more effective than what's been traditional leadership here in the U.S. Well, the way you said that is, is exactly the way I think about it. There's an intersection between uh, what I've come to understand from my faith and what I've come to see be effective in the workplace. Um, on the faith side, I think um, my life experience uh, demonstrated to me that I'm really not in charge. Uh, God is in control, and life goes a whole lot better when I let him drive. Um, and that came to me, frankly, more through trials and tribulation than it did uh, career success. You know, I, I like to tell people that um, when I get introduced, people always think CEOs have a life that's had no trial and, and tribulation. Mine has. Um, I've had breast cancer, I've had a difficult, uh, I've raised a, a child with difficulties, um, I've had, I've lost a job that I loved very much, um, and had to kind of face up to the fact that uh, I'm, not in, I'm not in control or in charge of my destiny. So that has been a humbling framework that uh, I think has made me more effective uh, because I want to give my best to my leadership roles, but I want God to get the glory and God to be in charge. On the work front, um, I've been shaped by my leadership experiences. And again, not so much by success, but by observing uh, leaders that I thought were not very effective. Uh, somebody asked me recently, were you mentored by fabulous leaders? And I said, no, but I learned a lot from the bad ones. Um, and I really think that the leaders that I struggled on demonstrated to me what 
uh, an effective workplace looks like. And I at, literally at one point said, I have to change myself as the leader because I want to create different work environments for the people. I really became enamored with this in franchising. Um, I came into the franchise business uh, working for Domino's Pizza in the 90s and uh, realized that my job was to set up the conditions for success for a franchise owner at Domino's Pizza. And I've since worked at um, you know, Yum Brands and now Popeyes in the same business model. And I couldn't really figure out how you make this business model work without servant leadership. Um, the franchisee invest in the building of our buildings, the hiring of our people. They really put it all on the line. Um, and so I came to understand it was my job to make sure that we set them up for success and that we measured our success by their success. And that's servant leadership. That is serve others well and it will serve the enterprise and you well as well. So um, I think both the business model, my faith, my trials and leadership experiences kind of came together to forge this perspective around servant leadership. You know, I'm thinking of something you wrote down here that, you know, those fiery trials that you described, and I'm sure there's more, that those for you really prepared you to lead. Um, how, where did that perspective come, Cheryl? That, you know, there's a lot of leaders that are going through adversity. We don't always see that this could be something that could actually be beneficial for us in the future. But as you were going through those those low points, you know, how what would you share with somebody that's maybe going through some of those trials right now to put things in perspective? Well, I will start by saying I'm wired to be an optimistic person. And so even in trial, I'm probably wired to say, okay, here we are. What can we make of it? How can we make this good? Um, that's kind of my worldview. Um, and the, I think it stems from the fact that early in my career, I saw if you took a cynic's perspective, right? If you said, oh, woe is me, I've just gotten bombasted by a trial and, uh, you know, all's for lost, I saw what a depressing outlook that gave you on life. Um, and so I push hard away from the cynic point of view. I want to be uh, positive and optimistic about what I can learn from the experience, how I can be changed for the better. I think we're all a work in progress. Uh, we all have the opportunity to get better from our experiences. Um, and I've found that to be a real asset in leadership. I think people want to work for people that know they're not perfect yet and maybe never going to be. Mm -hmm. um, I think people want to know that the leader is continuously learning and growing and trying to get better from their experiences. So um, it might be partly my wiring, but I also think it's my experience that it just simply leads to better outcomes to take that point of view. I, I like that. Just, you know, when you're going through that, what can you learn from that? How can this make you better? What are just one or two little things in there that maybe you even did well that you can learn from and realizing you're not perfect and just being, you know, just being human to other folks because I think they relate to that. And then you've applied that into what you're doing. So I think that's a great summary. Um, John, oh, one ahead. of the things I would tell you is that I've learned um, that um, – a friend of mine, Colleen Barrett from Southwest Airlines, uh, was talking to me one day about transparency and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And I have come to love those two words in leadership, that if a leader has not been forged by some difficult times, and if the leader is not willing to share what they've learned from difficulty and to be you know, vulnerable with the people they lead, then you're not very human. And the people pick up on that. 
people want to know that their leaders have had some bad days, that their leaders have struggled, that their leaders have had to grow. It gives them hope, right, that they too can become better with time. Yeah, that you don't have all the answers, but you know no. what? I'm trusting this team, and we're, you know, together we can figure it out, even though we don't know maybe right now what to do. Right. People appreciate that. You know, something I really want to dive into here. Um, you know, as an executive coach, I work with a lot of companies, CEOs that are going through some turnarounds. And I know when you came into Popeyes in 2007, things were going backwards. Uh, you were at the bottom of your category. You've brought it to the top. Uh, I would love to, culture is a big topic of conversation. You know, what are some things you did to turn the ship around and bring some of the values, this leadership style from the office that you're sitting in and then infuse that through the entire company that, that clearly resulted in some of the results that happened? Well, you're right. In the fall of 2007, um, just about everything that could go wrong had gone wrong for Popeyes and the business had been in decline for seven years. And so, as I like to say, what better time for a grand experiment in leadership, right? Uh, nothing <laughs> could go, you know, nothing could get worse. Um, and so I think we were brave. We had an opportunity to be brave. The first thing we did is, is the conventional. We did create a business plan with clear goals on what needed to be fixed. And that was the first step as it would be in any business turnaround. But then the second choice we made was this um, question of whom would we serve? And we actually had this meeting that I remember very clearly where we put on the um, board, you know, who are all the people that we're charged with serving, uh, our shareholders, our board, our employees, our guests, our franchisees. And we said, which of these groups is it the most important for us to focus on and to provide success to? And we landed on serving our franchisees well as what would differentiate us from our competitors. In our business, there's a lot of animosity between franchisors and franchisees, not a lot of partnership. And we thought that we could partner with our owners and stand apart from our competitors and have more success. So that whole idea of serving them well was our first decision. Were there, were there some big roadblocks and obstacles to creating that, moving that into a partnership, or was that more self-imposed by some of the structures? Uh, there, was, there were a lot of obstacles, mainly history, right? Mm -hmm. We had had a lot of CEOs a lot of turnover in leadership, and there was no trust in the relationship with our owners. And so uh, the first conversation I had with one of our franchisees, he said, listen, you need to understand we are abused children, and it will be a very long time before we trust you. And I've always, I've thanked him many times for saying that because he established the reality for me that there had been years of distrust and years in which the franchise owners had not been well served and it would not be fast to regain their trust. We began working with them differently than uh, prior leadership had. We met with them often. Uh, I think the signature trait we tried to demonstrate was listening skills, really trying to hear what they had to say. And then saying, how could we together solve these business issues? Um, so that your business would grow and prosper. Now, of course, initially they thought we were all motivated by self-interest. One of the things we did to convince them that we were uh, on their side is we started measuring the profitability of every restaurant in our system. 
we don't have to do that. We collect our royalties on sales, not on profits. So it was optional, but we said it's essential. Um, and out of that, they started to see us making decisions based on their profitability. And that was such a, a help in building trust. Uh, they came to understand that we would truly measure the success of every new product promotion or every new cost that we put into our restaurants based on whether their business would thrive. And over time, the way we worked, combined with the performance we created in their P&L, uh, built trust. About three years in, we wrote down what we thought were the tenets of our successful partnership, and we called them our purpose and principles. Today, they're on plaques on the wall, but I always say they started in our actions, not on plaques. And we said we would be respectful of our franchisee's passion. We would listen carefully and learn continuously. We would uh, be fact-based and planful. We'd get out ahead of things. We would coach and develop our people to be more effective. We would be, um, we would be personally accountable for our actions and we would value humility. We said from the very beginning, if you say you are humble, probably not, but we would value <laughs> humble acts and we would reward humble acts. And over time, those principles were codified in our behaviors with our owners. And over time, they built satisfaction, trust, relationship with our owners. Was there a point at which you realized that you had turned the corner with, with that relationship with the franchisees? Yes, there was. I was sitting in a room with the 10 leaders of our franchisee system. Was one of it the guy who was giving you that, that frank feedback? Actually, he was in the room. Okay. He was. There were 10 of them in the room. They're elected leaders of their peers. And they were frustrated with some things that were going on, but we were still working together collaboratively to make decisions. And I said to the franchise owners, I said, you know, how long is it going to take for you to trust us? We've been here like three and a half years and we're trying to live up to these principles and we're trying to be true to them. And they all had their arms folded across their chest and they sat there for a few minutes reflecting on my question. And then one of them unfolded his arms and looked up and he said, well, I think we could start trusting you today. <laughs> that was a good day. I laughed, I laughed out loud, but it actually happened. They actually said, you know what? They are trustworthy and they're not perfect, but they're worthy of continuing to work together and they're worthy of being trusted. And to, from that time forward, our business and our relationship has soared. And that's been, you know, the last four years at Popeye's. Well, something I noticed in that comment, though, just by asking that question, Cheryl, you were being very vulnerable. You opened yourself up to some feedback that could have been very frank after three and a half years of very hard work. And, and I think that's a real hallmark of good leaders to, you know, you know, to encourage those kind of dialogues that are very, you know, very vulnerable, very, very open like that. And you did that. You modeled that. Well, we don't always talk out loud about relationship and trust. And yet we, I think, all know that's the foundation of all good business interactions is to know one another well and to have the basis for trust. And so I think you have to be willing to put that elephant on the table and talk to one another about how it's going. You know, if somebody's listening to this and they're in, they're running a company where the culture is just not where they want it to be, 
you know, these principles that you're talking about, I mean, do they apply to big companies, small companies, or is it, is it pretty uh, ubiquitous? Well, my view is that every leader can create a culture and environment for work among their team. So whether you're in a project team at a huge company or whether you're in an entrepreneurial small company, you can create an environment for good work to happen and good relationships to happen. Um, but you have to take ownership of it. I know lots of people that say, I'm in a big, huge corporation. I don't like the culture of it. It's just terrible. And all they do is talk about it. And my question uh, to leaders at all levels is, well, what are you doing to create a different culture for your team? Because one way to create some interest in the way you work is to create a great workplace environment that yields superior results and let other people ask you how you did it and start a conversation, start a little movement in your large company about what it looks like to create a great environment for work um, and create superior performance results. So I think we have to each, as leaders, be accountable uh, for whatever team we've been given stewardship of uh, to make uh, it a little bit of a shining light, uh, that city on the hill idea, um, and let others learn from our leadership. So what would you, how would you define, Cheryl, the, somebody who's in a leadership role, what, what is their purpose in, in that position? Well, I think every individual has to wrestle with their uh, personal purpose. So I'm probably not a global purpose person. Uh, you know, I think I, I am motivated to impact my workplace by developing leaders. And that's where my gifts and my passions and my stage of life, that's where my purpose is today. Uh, so I think there can be different angles on personal purpose and how you impact your organization. But I think it starts with that exploration of why do I come to work? What am I here to do? How can I leave this place better than when I came? Um, and very few people think about that. Most people come to work in a very mindless state, right? They, I agree. Uh, I love to ask people why they work. And the blank stares on their faces are revealing and then they mumble something like, well, I've got to provide for the family. And then they mumble something else about the kids going to college. And, but there's no conviction and zeal about why they came. So I love to provoke that conversation. When I first got here, one of my team members, uh, I asked him about his purpose for work. And he said, well, you know, one day when my kids are grown, I'm going to be a missionary and go to India like my father did. And uh, I said, really? Well, that's cool. I said, what are you going to do for the next 20 years? And there was a long pause. And over the next several months, we ended up talking about that quite a bit, that, you know, let's, uh, let's think of each day and each workplace that we're given as an opportunity for impact and not limit our purpose and our contribution to, uh, you know, a mission trip once a year or something we're going to do in retirement. Uh, it could be today that we could have that impact. Cheryl, you mentioned earlier in the interview that you're naturally an optimistic person, and obviously you run across people all the time that are not naturally optimistic. How have you coached people that you have led to reframe their situation and take what's bad, being fired from a job like you did, getting cancer like you did, raising a child with special needs? Talk about how, how do you coach people, your, how do you coach your team to reframe their situation? 
Well, I think, first of all, you have to frame it up for people. And, and I always explain to people that in the workplace, we need your skills, but we also need your character traits. Mm. Um, and skills are actually the easiest part, right? You can get a good education. You can be prepared to do finance or marketing or sales or whatever your skills are. Uh, but character traits are the interesting conversation. That's where your values are. That's where your purpose for work is. That's where you decide how you think about the other people that you interact with at work. Those are some very interesting conversations. So the way I do it at Popeyes is we talk about both. We talk about your competencies for the job, and we also talk about the principles and purpose for which you come to work. And we ask people really to explore purpose and principles for themselves and come to an articulation of why they're here. Because I often say to them, I can't grow you or put you to your best use in this company if I don't understand what motivates you to be here and what your values and principles are for work. And we can't figure out if we're aligned, if we're on the same page until we have those conversations. If a person really doesn't want to bring purpose and principles to work, um, I, there's not a lot more to talk about. Um, you know, you, if you're going to create a workplace around purpose and principles and someone says, look, I'm just here to advance my career and move up the ranks and all this hullabaloo uh, about purpose and principles, I'm not really interested in that. Um, they're going to be a cancer on your culture. They're going to hold back the performance of your team because they're going to work against the team. Gallup calls this, you know, kicking bricks off the building, mm -hmm. you know, active disengagement, actively knocking down uh, the progress the organization's attempting to make. So, um, you know, I give people plenty of time to go through and figure out why they're here and how they want to contribute, but not forever. Uh, because eventually we've all got to put our best foot forward for the team and for the sake of the enterprise. So when somebody's entrenched in that mindset and you can't move them forward, do you just have that conversation where it's just not a good fit for you to stay here? A absolutely. Because the culture is more, the culture and how you're serving, well, and you came up with your, your franchisees is more important than keeping that one person here that could have that you know, drag on what you're trying to do. Yes. And I, I always explain that both uh, your skills, your competencies and your character, your principles are important to us. Um, but uh, as I mentioned, I can, if you don't have skills, I can grow those and I'll work with you and we'll advance you or we'll get you aligned with a job that's a better fit for your skills. But if you don't want to participate in our culture and operate by the principles uh, in our case of servant leadership, uh, that's a choice. Um, and we've been very clear about how we want to operate uh, the company towards our franchisees. Uh, and if over time you decide that's not for you, we'll, we'll help you figure out a better place to work. It's another thing I learned from Southwest Airlines. They, uh, when they find a person that's not a fit with their culture, they say, we'll enjoy having you as a customer for the rest <laughs> of our lives. Um, and I think I would feel the same way. Now, Something that I'm thinking about, um, as you've made all these changes over the last seven, eight years, you know, what have you done to really embed the culture in Popeyes so that all these principles eventually outlast your, your tenure there as CEO? Mm -hmm. and, what, and what other advice would you have for people that are bringing this and transforming the, the cultures of the companies that they're at? 
such an important question because I think, again, in our culture today, we put too much emphasis on the CEO being mm -hmm. the culture of the company. And like if, if you're not there, there's no culture and it can't be that way. And so what I, I've been focused on for a very long time is how do we build our culture into our work process? And what's an example of that? Well, one of the things we're doing is we're trying to bring our, our culture to our franchise franchise owner companies now, and we're trying to help them bring the culture to the front counter of the restaurant. Well, a process for doing that is training, right? So we've created um, an incredible leadership development curriculum called Leading from the Heart, and we're going to be teaching that over the next three years to every franchise owner, every supervisor, every restaurant general manager in our system to build their skills for creating a healthy culture in their restaurant company. And that's, you know, building a legacy, right? And how we operate as an organization. That's teaching the competencies to every leader in our chain of influence. And so I, I believe the sustainability of culture is you have to build it into your practices uh, and processes so that it, it lives on, you know, forever. And people for years say, well, that's just the way we do it. You know, it Training is very important, but then, you know, the next phases are, you know, uh, making sure that it's implemented and yielding results and then measuring success based on that training. How are you finding ways to do that? Well, we joke that we measure everything that moves at Popeye's. <laughs> uh, and the reason is you, you only move things you measure, right? So if it's important, you measure it and you track progress. And so... Uh, for years now, we've measured sales, we've measured guest experience, we've measured profitability. What we've added to that uh, as a measure of culture is we're starting now to measure the engagement of every employee, and we're starting to track the action plans of every supervisor to create their, uh, to constantly improve, continuously improve their work environment. Cheryl, what um, do you mean by engagement? Engagement um, is a fancy word for saying whether you're well connected to your workplace. So you, does your leadership communicate well to you? Is there trust among your colleagues? Are you clear on expectations? You know, are the conditions for work uh, set up well? Um, interestingly, in the U.S., only 30% of Americans say they are highly engaged in work meaning they feel good about where they work and want to be there forever. So 70% of Americans are basically looking for a new boss and a new job. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to flip those statistics. Today in our um, restaurant support company, which is our corporate entity, 85% uh, of our people are highly engaged. We're now measuring engagement of our franchise owners, and then we're going to measure engagement of our supervisors and our restaurant teams to make sure each leader in the chain of influence is creating a very highly engaged workplace. And if they're not, creating the action plans to advance. Well, what I love about that is you're just being intentional about it because you are you want to get that feedback to say, you know, am I really serving this person the best that I possibly can. And something you said in the book that I'd love, you know, as we're getting close to the end here, you said it's really important to love the people you lead. And that word love, when it's thrown around in the corporate environment, uh, sometimes a little bit soft. And I'd love to hear about your definition of love and, and how you've infused that into what you do. Well, the first time I thought about love at work was when I read Joel Mamby's book called Love Works. And he said, love is an action verb. 
Um, and that took away the softness for me. Uh, love is a demonstration of how you feel towards someone. Uh, it has to be evident in your actions. And so we, um, when we talk about love here and do you love the people you lead, loving means have you set clear expectations? Have you had coaching sessions with them regularly? Have you helped them monitor their results and either encourage them when they do well or help them figure out the problem when they're missing their results? It's a very, love is a very structured set of actions towards someone and it has the underpinnings of dignity and respect, right? I believe you're a valuable person. I believe you've been created for a purpose and I'm going to assume that going into the relationship and then together we're going to build your your capability so that you can perform at your best. I like that you assume that they were created for a purpose. So you're looking at somebody from a perspective that you're seeing potential in them that maybe they don't even see for themselves. And when you set those expectations for people, they rise to the level of the expectations of other people around them. Have you found the same thing? Absolutely true. In fact, one of my uh, leaders tells a great story uh, where he said in, he had these two bosses early in his career. One thought he was terrible and he proved them completely right. <laughs> the second boss thought he was fabulous and he proved her completely right. Um, and so I, I absolutely think that. I think if we approach every person as they were designed by God to have strengths and capabilities, our job is to tease out what those are, put them in a role that uses their strengths, uh, and aids in their success. And when we take that mindset towards people um, and treat them with you know, just the basics of human dignity, uh, great things happen. People thrive. People thrive in that environment, just like children thrive in a good home. You know, Cheryl, as you talked about bringing out the best in people and loving people, your energy just went up like 3x. I can see that that just connected with some just deep core values that you hold and and, and you're just you just love every day coming in and bring those out and what you're doing at work, it sounds like. Absolutely. Well, in fact, that's you know one of the reasons I'm in the restaurant business is you know we have 60,000 employees. I can go to a different town every day and meet hundreds of people, and I find them fascinating, and I just love to get to know who they are and why they're here and help how we can help them advance. You know, my the the industry I'm in, restaurants, is where 25% um, of America gets their first job, and two thirds of America works somewhere during their lives. It's just an outstanding opportunity to touch people. Uh, wherever they are in their life and to uh, help them grow in capability. Uh, and so, yes, you're right. I light up like a candle when I talk about it. You do. Well, hey, as we're wrapping up here, what what are you know people listening to this, people in leadership role, um, hearing about how you've turned this around and all these wonderful concepts about true servant leadership, what are some final thoughts you'd like to leave with them? Well, first, I would love for them to consider these principles for their own leadership. And that's why I wrote the 40 questions uh, for reflection in the book. You know, really examine yourself and where you stand on the dare to serve uh, idea and examine it with your friends. I've created uh, study guide materials on my website at CherylBatchelder.com if people want a free download so that they can continue to talk about these topics. Uh, that would warm my heart. Uh, and if you want to talk back to me with comments and, and feedback on my website, I would welcome that. Uh, but most of all, I want to leave people with the encouragement that uh, great leaders go on to create more leaders. Uh, Albert Moeller said that in the book, Conviction to Lead. And I just want to encourage leaders uh, to grow themselves 
and then give back by developing the next generation of leaders. That's all. I love that final thought. And we'll put all the links to how people can get in touch with you in the post that we'll have for this show. And I have one final question for you here. If somebody for some reason has not eaten at Popeye's, which I can't imagine, what is your favorite menu item and what should they go down right now and go get? Well, yes, if you haven't eaten a Popeye's, <laughs> you absolutely must get in the car and go. Uh, we create this amazing Louisiana food that's so flavorful and so fun. My personal favorite are our spicy tenders, which are huge and crunchy and amazing and uh, served with blackened ranch is my favorite sauce. And my favorite side is red beans and rice, which is just a classic Louisiana meal that has been cooked over the stove on Mondays for decades in Louisiana. Those are my three favorites. And by the way, this is just my own humble opinion, Cheryl. It is so much better than KFC. <laughs> way better. I'm just putting uh, that out there. Humble and true. <laughs> That's right. All right, Cheryl, You. It, this has just been wonderful spending time with you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. If you'd like to learn more information about Cheryl or her book, go to eternalleadership.com slash 056, and there we'll have links to that, plus how to book her to speak at your event. All that and more, eternalleadership.com slash 056. Special thanks to everyone that has shared us on social media, and special thanks to Justin Jeffrey for his editing and production help on this episode. Next time on Eternal Leadership, founder of One Accord Partners, Jeff Rogers. So the company I founded that I started, I fired myself as CEO. And in a moment, the baton went to a guy who's much more qualified to help us in that season of our company to get where we needed to go because I was an encumbrance. And I think that's been a really good lesson is being willing to say, am I more important or is the stewardship of the organization I work with? In this case, he moved us to a much better season. And Jeff, was that hard to do? I remember going home to my wife that night and saying, I may have just lost my job. And she's looking at me like, well, <laughs> your you company, honey. <laughs> it's our company. We heard Jeff's colleague, Eric Lind, on a previous episode, and John and I were so impressed with this interview that we actually bumped it up. We recorded it very recently, and we put it in this spot because we felt it was so good. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.